You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Like bones and law and order and things like that. Is anybody interested in those sort of things? Okay, okay a few of you. Okay. Um, I don't usually, I don't really watch those things, but sometimes I hear these things going on in the background, so I tune in whenever I hear something kind of interesting. And um, for like a half an episode here and there. And I noticed um, there's a pretty consistent uh, theme or, or storyline across all of these shows. It's almost, uh, it's really predictable at a certain point. Someone dies and then uh, people, they look at, uh, they find out someone dies. And then people, usually cops, sometimes scientists, you know, some important people, they're trying to figure out who killed this person. So there's this uh, so most of the episode is dedicated to solving the mystery, where they try to find out who is responsible. They interview people. They look for clues. They do all these things to try to figure out who's responsible. And all these suspects, they say they're innocent, but eventually uh, they find out one person is a murderer and justice is served. Today is Good Friday, and on Good Friday we recall a very specific murder. And it is perhaps the most significant murder in human history. We remember that Jesus was murdered on the cross. And today I want to answer a question, and it's the same question that a lot of these cops and scientists, they ask in these TV shows, which is, who is responsible? Who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Now at the surface, you might say, oh, that's that's obvious. It was the Roman soldiers. They were carrying the hammer and nails, and so they were responsible for killing Jesus. They beat him and they crucified him. But then others of you, you might take a step back and you say, no, it wasn't them because it was Pontius Pilate, who was the governor uh, of the Roman governor at the time. He was the one who gave them the order. He gave the soldiers the order to crucify Jesus. So Pontius Pilate was responsible. But still, others, you might take a step back and you might say, no, it wasn't Pontius Pilate. It was an angry mob. It was a crowd. They were the ones who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate, in a sense, he had his hands tied behind his back. He'd, he wanted to appease the crowd, so he just relented to the crowd's demand. So it was an angry mob. They were responsible. And others, you might say, no, it was the Jewish religious leaders of the day because they were the ones who were plotting this whole time to kill Jesus. And they... they, they instigated this riot almost. They, they charged up the crowd and got them upset. And they were the ones who brought the false accusations. So they were the ones who were responsible for killing Jesus. And so others you might say, but Judas is scary. Don't leave him out because he was the one who betrayed Jesus in the first place. And Judas is scary. He was such a close friend, Jesus' confidant. And he, 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 deceived, he deceptively gave Jesus over to the religious leaders in the dead of night. So Judas is scared. It must have been his fault. He was responsible. Well, the apostle Peter, he had an answer to this question, and his answer was actually very different from all of those answers. About 50 days after Jesus died, there was this festival and rose again. Spoiler alert, he rose again. But there was a festival called Pentecost, and all these Jewish people and uh, people who had converted to Judaism, they had gathered in Jerusalem And there was this big festival going on, and Peter was there, and he gave this big speech. And in the speech, check out what he says in Acts 2, 22, verses 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so notice, okay, so Peter, he's talking to a group of people, most of whom were not present when Jesus died. This is 50 years, I mean 50 days after Jesus died and rose again. And so most of these people were not present. And he says to these people, you crucified and killed this Jesus. And so who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Peter gives two answers, actually, but I'll give you the first one, which is, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. So he's not saying lawless men crucified and killed Jesus. He could have said that. He could have incorporated all these people, Roman soldiers, Jewish leaders, the angry mob, all these people he would categorize as lawless men. He could have said, these people killed and crucified Jesus, but he doesn't. He says, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of these people. Now, how is it possible that these people who weren't even on the scene were responsible for killing Jesus? There's an interesting passage in Hebrews 6 that ties into this, and I want to read this real quick. This is Hebrews 6, starting from verse 4, and the author goes, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So this is fascinating because what the author is implying here is that he's talking about this group of people, they're sinning in these ways, and he's equating their sinning with Jesus' crucifixion. They're saying these people who are sinning are, by sinning, crucifying Jesus on the cross. And what this passage is implying and what, Jesus, and what Peter is implying in Acts 2 is that any human being who has sinned is responsible for the murder of Jesus Christ. Any human being who has sinned is responsible for the murder of Jesus Christ. You know, when it comes to the responsibility of any other person who is killed, whether it's a, a fictional character in a TV show, whether it's you know, a real person who lived today who was murdered, uh, usually we would say, oh, this one person was responsible, or if it was a collaborative effort, we might say, this group of people were responsible. But with Jesus... It was more than just one person or a few people or even a lot of people. It was every single person, past, present, or future, who has ever sinned. Everybody bears a responsibility. It wasn't just the Roman soldiers. It wasn't just Pontius Pilate. It wasn't just the angry mob. It wasn't just the Jewish leaders. It wasn't just Judas Iscariot. All of us combined collectively bear the responsibility. And the reason why is because every sin is first and foremost a sin against God. Every sin that we ever commit, every wrong thing that we've ever done, whether to someone else, to ourselves, every single one was first and foremost a sin against God. And Jesus is God. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking on all of our sin. It's a sobering thought that we are responsible because just as it is, just as it is with these, uh, these TV shows, no one wants to be responsible. You're talking to all these people who are being interviewed and interrogated for the murders of all these people. No one, most of the time, uh, willingly volunteers and say, I'm responsible. We don't want to be responsible. Because with that comes guilt, and shame, embarrassment. We don't want to be responsible. But 
we are responsible. All of our sins collectively have committed, have contributed to the murder of Jesus. Every time we deceive or manipulate, we are nailing Jesus to the cross. Every time we lash out in anger, we are nailing Jesus to the cross. Every time we are spiteful and bitter, we are nailing Jesus to the cross. And every time we are lustful or jealous, we are nailing Jesus to the cross. So that's Peter's first answer. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? We are. We sinners are. But there's something else. There's a second answer. In Peter's speech, he says, back in Acts chapter 2, and the, uh, in verse 23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, Jesus' death didn't catch God by surprise. God wasn't sitting up there watching his son killed, and he was so shocked, and he was like, this is not going according to plan. What's going on, guys? He actually planned the whole thing out. This was going according to his plan. This was his plan A. And it was all a part of God's plan from the very beginning. And so you can also say it was God's responsibility as well to nail Jesus on the cross. In fact, in Isaiah 53, he uses this language of, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. Jesus' death was very much God's responsibility, just as much as it was our responsibility. And why did God kill his son? Why was it according to his plan? Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God killed Jesus out of love for us. He planned it out from the beginning because from the beginning, God loved us. If it wasn't God's plan, then Jesus wouldn't have died at all. God had every right, every power to rescue Jesus, to not have him suffer at all. But because it was his plan, because God loved us, God asked his son to die. And Jesus willingly volunteered to go along with the plan. It wasn't just because of our sin that Jesus died. It was also because of God's love for us that Jesus died. Because it was only through the death of Jesus that humanity could obtain life. And that was the plan all along. Paul writes in Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with them, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Before Jesus died on the cross, Paul says in this verse that we had this record of debt that stood against us, that had legal demands over us. In a sense, it was like a court system, and we were declared guilty because of what we owed. It wasn't a financial debt. It's not like we owed God money. It was a moral debt. And even people in our culture who are not Christians, who have no religious affiliation, we understand the concept of having a moral debt, right? When, when someone hurts us, you know, we are angry at them, we're bitter at them, we want revenge, we want uh, justice, and we might say stuff like, that person needs to pay. And we're not talking financial. We're not saying this person hurts us or they need to give us money. We're talking in terms of a moral debt. We're thinking this person owes us something because this person has hurt us. So it's payback time. We use those sort of, that sort of language. And in the same way, God demands payment from us a moral payment from us because of our debt, because of the ways in which we have sinned against one another and against God. 
We understand that when sin is committed, debts need to be paid. And because we have all sinned against God, the creator and sustainer of all things, we have a pretty massive debt. And God has declared that the punishment, the way we repay this massive debt is through death. And that is why we are dead in our trespasses. But while we were dead in our trespasses and while we were sinners, God paid off our debt through the death of Jesus. When God nailed Jesus to the cross, he also nailed with Jesus our record of debt to that cross so that our life sentence was paid by Jesus himself, so that our debt is free. And it's a sobering thought also. Not only that we are responsible, that our sins are responsible for the murder of Jesus, but it's also sobering that God himself is responsible for the murder of Jesus because God loved us so much that he would send his only son to die for us so that we could have life. And that's what makes Good Friday so good. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. We're going through the story of Jacob right now, and Jacob has, um, in, in our Sunday sermon series, and Jacob has a son named Joseph, and Joseph has a pretty crazy story himself. When he was 17, his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. Some crazy stuff happened. He spent 13 years in Egypt, and then one day he became the ruler of all Egypt, and in this position, he actually saved the whole country from a famine, and he even saved his brothers, who betrayed him 13 years earlier, from the same famine. And there's a pretty fascinating verse in Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph is talking to his brothers, and he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph says, You meant evil, but God meant it for good. The brothers meant to do evil to Joseph, but God somehow incorporated all of these evil plots, these plans, these schemes into his good plan to save people from the famine so that even the people who committed this evil, Joseph's brothers, benefited from the goodness of God's plan. And that paradox that what people mean for evil, God can mean for good is also found on Good Friday. It's ultimately realized on Good Friday because two parties are responsible for the murder of Jesus. One, people like us who meant Jesus' death for evil, and God who meant Jesus' death for good. And the greatest irony of ironies is that we nail Jesus to the cross by committing sin against him, and God nailed Jesus to that same cross to pay for that sin. God nailed Jesus to the cross as a direct response to us sinning and thus nailing Jesus to the cross. John Stott, he's this author, he wrote something fascinating about this dual responsibility of Jesus' death in his book, The Cross Cross of Christ. And he says, On the human level, Judas gave him up to the priests, who gave him up to Pilate, who gave him up to the soldiers, who crucified him. But on the divine level, the Father gave him up, and he gave himself up to die for us. As we face this cross, then we can say to ourselves both, I did it, my sin sent him there, and he did it. His love took him there. For the cross, which is an exposure of human evil, is at the same time a revelation of the divine purpose to overcome the human evil thus exposed. So at the cross, you have this picture of human evil culminating 
all human evil, past, present, and future, culminate at this one moment, the cross, and you have a picture of God choosing to overcome this human evil. Good Friday is this beautiful display of God's response to evil. He does not hide from evil. He does not cower from evil. He doesn't stand down from evil. But instead, at the cross, he invited all of the evil of the world to come at him, to take him head on. It was like this big cosmic showdown, an open invitation to all the evil of the world to come take this guy down on the cross. And evil eagerly arose to the challenge, throwing everything ahead at Jesus. Every sin every committed, ever committed from the dawn of history conspired together for this one climactic moment to take down the Son of God on the cross. And so Jesus took the betrayal, he took the corruption, he took the pain, he took the beatings, he took the abandonment, and he took even death itself. But it was all a trap. It was all a trap. Because what the world meant for evil, God meant for good. And this was a trap for evil itself. Because when Jesus died, evil died with Jesus on the cross. By inviting all of evil to kill Jesus on the cross, Jesus took that opportunity and killed evil on that cross too. When Jesus died, it may have seemed that the goodness of God was overcome by the evil of the world, but it was the exact opposite. Through this very act of allowing himself to be overcome by evil on the cross, Jesus actually overcame the evil with his goodness, for evil itself died when Jesus died. And so on Good Friday, the evil of the world we celebrate was thwarted by the goodness of God. For the past 40 days during the Lent season, we've been inviting you uh, to confess your sins by writing areas of your life marked with sin or brokenness on these little sheets of paper. They're in this red jar down here. And uh, today we'll be inviting you to nail those sins to the cross. And by doing so, we'll be symbolizing two things. One, our sins are responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. And two, because God also loved us and sent Jesus to the cross, these sins died when Jesus died. So that when God sees us now, he sees us as forgiven, as sinless, as pure. The debt that we once owed has been paid. And it's this radically, beautifully, wonderful paradox that we are so sinful that we nailed Jesus to the cross, but we are so loved by God that Jesus went to the cross. So when we look at the cross, we're reminded of our love for sin, and we're soberly, we soberly remove ourselves of our pride. We can't, we're just humbled by the fact that Jesus died because of our sin. But at the same time, we also look to the cross and we're reminded of God's love for us. And that's sober to us too, because it takes away our shame. I'm going to pray in a bit, and after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come up uh, to one at a time, nail these sins to the cross. Uh, But during this time, as we pray and during the music, as we reflect, I encourage you to think about the death of Jesus. Remember your sin, but remember God's love. And remember this picture of Jesus that represents, while he died on the cross, for your sin, 
because of your sin, but against your sin, you are rescued. And so when you are ready, feel free to come up on either side of the aisle. Uh, take a sin out of this jar, and then you can take uh, these little nails out of this cup right here. There's two hammers, so you can go two at a time, and you can pick any part of the cross that you like, depending on how tall or short you are, and you can nail the, that sin on the, car, uh, on the cross. Let's stand as we pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you so much that you became a human being just like us. But not only did you become a human being just like us, but you took on the worst of us. All the sins, all the brokenness, all the evils, all the sufferings, all the pains of the world, you invited to take you on. You invited them all to come to you and to kill you. But you did that so that you could kill them too. And so at the cross, it's a bold declaration to the whole world that the goodness of God has thwarted the evil of the world. So that even when we look at the evil in our lives, the evil that marks our lives, the evil that stains our lives, the things we've committed against other people, the things that, have, that other people have committed against us, we can look at that and we can say, you're nothing. You no longer have a hold on me because... God nailed you to that cross. We thank you that, Jesus, you died to save us. You were pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. Upon you was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by your wounds, we are healed.